Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of the Full Fact Podcast. I'm Alexis Conran, and every week we'll be bringing you facts and dispelling myths. But, of course, I'm not qualified to do that, so I'll introduce Full Fact editor Tom Phillips. Tom, it's been a busy time starting a fact-checking podcast, isn't it? It's a little bit busy right now, to say the <laughs> least. Quite a lot going on with the coronavirus thing. Just uh, just when we thought we'd got the election out of the way, Brexit had gone through, maybe we we're going to have a nice quiet time. That's, that's, that's not really happened. Not at all. But uh, could you explain to our listeners who might be less familiar with your work, what exactly do Full Fact do? So we are the UK's independent fact-checking charity. Uh, and basically what that means is that we look into things that have been said in you know public debate. So that could be things said by politicians, things said by the media, and we look into whether or not they are in fact factually true. Uh, we also look at things that are said online, so things that have gone viral, uh, things that have been said on Facebook or Twitter, and we, again, just we're trying to find the evidence, find out if it's actually true, and then we present that evidence on our website so the readers can make their own minds up. How do you go about picking what stories to look at and also... Who are the people actually doing the fact-checking? Where do they get their facts from? Our key approach to this is that we use public evidence. So there's no anonymous sources, there's no off-the-record briefings in what we do. All the evidence that we use to reach our conclusions, we put into the articles that we write. There are links in all of our articles to all of the places where we found the evidence that we're using. Uh, and so once again, we don't just, that's not just there as a, an added extra. We really, really want our readers to actually go and explore that evidence for themselves and, you know, to look at that evidence critically, uh, but with an open mind so that they can actually come to their own conclusions based on the best possible information available. And so that's what we do. And, you know, in terms of, like, how do we choose what to check? I mean, there is an awful lot out there that we can potentially talk about. So what we try and do is we try and look to see how far has this particular thing spread? How many people will have seen it, heard it? How many people are likely to believe it? Um, that's one of the things that we look at. How important is it? I mean, you could spend your entire time correcting minor errors that don't really matter, but that's not really terribly useful. We want to be writing about things that really, really matter to people's lives. And so that's, you know, a thing that we really try and focus on. And particularly, we try and focus on things where there is the potential for misleading information to cause harm. And of course, this is particularly acute right now in the middle of a public health crisis, where even well-intentioned misleading information that people are sharing or people have heard, it has the potential to actually do more harm than good. We've seen misleading suggestions for things that can cure or prevent you getting the coronavirus if people believe that and they're lulled into a false sense of security, then they may contract the disease when they didn't need to. They may pass it on to others. And so it's really, really important in a time like this to focus on things where there is a potential for harm. What are the most prevalent stories around the coronavirus? There are lots of pieces of medical information that may not be very well evidenced. So we see these things are like cures. Gargling salt water can help you stop getting the virus. Holding your head over a bowl of steam, eating garlic, drinking lemon juice, all of these kinds of things are suggestions of ways that you can protect yourself or cure yourself of the coronavirus. Of course, none of them have any basis in actual medicine. It's really understandable why people share this. 
this is a scary time and people want to share things that they think might have a chance of protecting their friends, their family, their loved ones. The trouble is that that has the potential to do more harm than good. There's a particular one that has to do with an uncle, a post that's been going around. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, this has spread very far and wide. So there was this post, it started on Facebook, where a guy said that he had had dinner with someone and that friend's uncle was a doctor in China and that this was the medical advice that the friend's uncle doctor was giving. There were some things in there that were accurate or accurate-ish, but there was a lot of stuff that was potentially misleading. So it included the advice about gargling with salt water, for example. It included advice that you shouldn't drink cold drinks or iced drinks or anything like that because cold temperatures uh, are good for the virus. You should drink warm drinks because warm temperatures are bad for the virus. It included the claim that temperatures above 27 degrees centigrade will kill the virus. Uh, It hates the sun, was the phrase used. And all of these things are wrong or misleading. What we've seen since is that this initial post, uh, even though it, the original post, has been edited since we got in touch with the person who wrote it, the actual text of it has been taken and shared on different platforms. It's been adapted and changed. We've seen parts of it being attributed to UNICEF in WhatsApp messages that were being forwarded around. UNICEF, of course, say this is nothing to do with us. And so the basic core of this post has spread out and mutated and changed in a wide variety of ways and continues to circulate to this day. And of course, it's important to say that this message, I believe, has been has been shared over 400,000 times and continues to be shared. Now, Tom, one of the big issues uh, during this lockdown has been the effect that it's been having on the general population, not just the economy, mental health, but we're also looking at the issues of domestic abuse with calls to helplines increasing. And there's been a piece of advice that's been circulating from uh, various media sources, celebrities. It concerns dialing 999 and then pressing 55. I gather full fact have been looking into this. This is very close to the truth. The 55 system is a real thing, but some of the advice has got it wrong in really quite crucial ways that could put somebody in danger. So we've seen a lot of things that say, if you are in a situation where you need to call 999, but for whatever reason you can't speak, you should dial 55 and then hang up. And that's wrong. That will Ah. not bring the police to your house. What should you be doing? There is a system. When you call 999, you go through to a BT operator in the first instance. And if there is no noise coming from the other end, they will try and ask a series of prompts to establish if this is a real emergency call or if it's just an accidental, you know... A pocket pocket. dial. A pocket dial. So they will ask you to prompt things, asking you to do things like, can you cough? Can you tap the handset? Just something to indicate that there is a real situation going on rather than just hearing somebody's pocket talking to you. If there is any question about that, then they may forward it on to an automated system in which dialing 55 then puts you through to the police. But this won't happen immediately because they'll be trying to prompt you to begin with. So it's really important to say don't hang up. There is a 55 system, 
but you should do it when you're prompted to by the operator, not just immediately. And you shouldn't hang up because they will need to try and get more information out of you. And they're trained to do this by asking you questions that you can respond to with a tap on the handset or a cough or a simple yes, no. So this is something that's quite difficult to explain in words. I think it's a lot easier if you actually hear what happens when you call. Uh, And we've got a recording of a sample of what this sounds like, which uh, you can hear now. Emergency, which service? Do you need fire, police or ambulance? What number of your dial, please? I cannot release your line until you say that you do not need an emergency service. If you're unable to speak but need an emergency service, please tap the handset, cough, make a noise. This is the police. If you require any emergency service, please press 55 on your keypad now. Please release this call. The other thing that we've seen before about this is the idea that dialing 55 means the police can automatically trace your call. That isn't true. The 55 system only works on mobile phones because obviously accidental calls from landlines are less of a thing. And while the police can get your rough location from a mobile phone, that doesn't bring them to your address. If you think about the little blue arrow on a map on your phone, sometimes the location it gives is quite imprecise. And if you're thinking about, for example, people living in multi-storey buildings, right. uh, you know, which the, flat you're locate, in is going to. Yeah, exactly. You might give it one location of a block of flats, but they don't necessarily know which that flat you're in. Could be 20 floors of possible flats. So it's not going to bring the police to your door. So the 5-5 system is real. It's really important that people know about it. It can potentially be a lifesaver. But just dialing 5-5, then hanging up is not going to work. So don't follow that advice. Now, I think it's time to move on to our main topic of the podcast episode today, which is 5G and coronavirus. And in order to do that, I'm going to welcome to the show Grace Rahman, who's the online fact-checking lead. Grace, how are you? Hello. Uh, Yeah, I'm all right. Now, this has been taking quite a lot of your time, I gather. We've had 20 alleged uh, reports of attacks on uh, 5G masks over the Easter weekend alone, although there have been attacks for the last two or three weeks up and down the country. Liverpool, Birmingham, Manchester have seen attacks. We've also unfortunately had some rather, um, from household names to other big celebrities, really not going out of their way to dispel those myths and possibly, some might say, adding some fuel to the fire. Social media seems to be carrying these messages along with very little hindrance. Let's begin at the beginning. When did these 5G conspiracy theories start? We definitely saw claims involving both 5G and coronavirus going viral online before the WHO had even declared this a world pandemic. So even in sort of late January, we saw claims saying Wuhan is somewhere where 5G got rolled out first, and that's explaining the outbreak. And am I right in thinking that it's not even particularly exclusive to 5G? There were concerns for 4G, 3 G and whatever G going back all the way to probably a pager, I should think. Yeah, certainly. These claims are very similar to the ones that we saw kind of back in the mid-noughties when 3G, which then was seen as, you know, it was going to be broadband for mobile phones, was being rolled out. There were a lot of protests. And even before then, just generally phone masks for mobile phones were often met with protests. There was a lot of 
news coverage about planning permission, where these masks could be in relation to schools. And it was generally the same kind of sentiment in terms of worries about health, cancer. It's, it's basically the same misinformation, but for a slightly more modern technology. How did we get from 5G to coronavirus? How are people pinning a phone mast and a virus together? This worldwide pandemic, um, to put it lightly, is very scary. And these ideas about 5G were already kind of in the sort of conspiracy theory world. So I don't think the jump from something, you know, that everybody knows about this pandemic to something therefore attached to 5G is that much of a jump. I mean, people are frightened 5G they've heard of, maybe they've heard that it's potentially dangerous. And so that jump doesn't seem that extreme. Obviously, the potential for harm is huge, as we've seen with these fires. Not only does it take emergency services out of where they need to be, but it's concerning if people aren't following public health advice because they think that technology is behind it when it isn't. Are there any arguments, even any attempt to logically put together, oh, look, uh, 5G does this, therefore this is where the virus is? Because so far, all I can see is that Wuhan was one of the first places that 5G was uh, introduced. And a lot of people in those conspiracy theories are making the point that, for example, Africa has not seen a rollout of 5G and they haven't seen a coronavirus outbreak as much as we've seen everywhere else. On the Africa point, we've seen outbreaks in places that don't have 5G. For example, Iran, which has had one of the worst outbreaks and all these examples we see on cruise ships. So there are definitely examples um, that counter those conspiracy theories. It's important to remember that there isn't sort of one 5G coronavirus conspiracy theory. Speaking very generally, it's kind of in two camps. So one camp is, okay, the 5G technology being rolled out is causing the symptoms of COVID-19. And the other kind of faction is this idea that the virus is not real, it's a construction and is being used as a way that the government can roll out this technology without the public being around because they're on lockdown. So those are two quite different trains of thought. And when it comes to the one about, you know, 5G causing the virus, we've seen videos of, say, protests from Hong Kong when protesters were pulling down sort of the smart streetlights there. Those videos have been used to say, oh, this is when, you know, the Chinese public found out that it was these 5G towers that were causing the corona. I'm using air quotes here, which is great podcast material. I think the jump was expected considering how prominent the 5G theories in general have been building up over the last year. There have been some celebrities out there who have been seen to share these conspiracy theories on their social media. How much of that is a problem? Or do you think that conspiracy theories like this one are going to spread regardless? The particularly difficult thing about this is that it's become so mainstream. I think I'm, it's fair to say that there are some people who just really like conspiracy theories and they're into that and they're going to believe them and they're going to read about them. We're very concerned about people perhaps on the periphery of that, who we can show the evidence to and who may be persuaded that, you know, this is misguided, the evidence is not what they think it is. And when celebrities tweet out fake sentiments that could be construed as 5G is harmful and is causing this pandemic, that's very worrying for us because it's setting it out to like a brand new audience. And yeah, it's not what we want at all, no. Is there any evidence that 5G is at all harmful? to your health, regardless of 
the virus? Uh, no, and I'll explain that. The reason sometimes given that 5G is more dangerous is that it uses a higher frequency of radio waves compared to 2, 3 and 4G. The thing to remember here is these are still relatively extremely low frequency. Mm -hmm. It's just higher than before. But there is just no scientific evidence that those slightly higher frequencies are harmful to people at all. It's time now to move on to our readers' questions. Each week, we're going to be asking people to record their question and send it to us here at Full Fact. And we will put that question to our fact checkers and try and get you an answer. So our first question this week comes from Jack in Hampton, who says, what counts as essential travel during COVID-19 lockdown? Tom, enlighten us. There are four basic reasons that the government guidance says you could leave your house. So shopping for basic necessities, for exercise once a day, and any medical need, and travelling for work purposes. Uh, Medical need also includes caring for vulnerable people as well. So those are the four main reasons you can leave. It's worth noting that the law around this, which is not quite the same as the government guidance, it says you need a reasonable excuse to leave your house. It lists a load of things that can definitely count as reasonable excuses, but it's not exhaustive. It's not intended to be exhaustive. There is always something that may be a really important reason you need to leave the house that they haven't thought of. And so if you have a really important reason to leave the house, you still can do, but you need to be able to, if, for example, challenged by a police officer, need to be able to give that reason and explain why it's important. I think the key thing about this is be sensible. I think we all actually have quite a good sense of whether or not it's really important to leave the house. So just be sensible around it. Next question. Can you catch coronavirus twice? That's from Luke in London. Yeah, and the key thing about this is that we still don't have good evidence on this. This is a new virus. We still don't know everything about it. It's possible, maybe. Uh, There have been some cases of people apparently being reinfected, but what isn't clear in this is whether or not that's a genuine reinfection uh, or whether or not actually just the tests, when they were given the all clear, actually just missed the fact that they still did have the virus. Um, So be wary of stories about people catching it twice, because it could just be faulty testing rather than people genuinely catching it twice. Generally, the expert evidence suggests that it's very unlikely that most people will be able to catch it twice. Okay. uh, next one uh, is from Alexis in London. That's me, actually. This is my question. (laughs) I I sneaked one in. Is hand sanitizer effective? Yes, it is, as long as the alcohol content of that hand sanitizer is over 60%. One thing we've seen is lots of people going like, oh, antibacterial hand sanitizer, that won't work against this because it's a virus. So, you know, they're using a good piece of scientific knowledge there that those are different things. The key thing is, though, if it's an alcohol-based hand sanitizer, uh, the nature of this particular virus, uh, it's kind of encased in this sort of little fatty layer, and the alcohol breaks that down. So it is, in fact effective against this virus if it's alcohol 60% plus hand sanitizer. But it's worth saying the absolute gold standard for cleaning your hands is still soap and water, which does the same job really, really effectively. Final question is from James in Tooting, and he says, how does the new coronavirus compare to influenza? 
lots of people have been saying, oh, this is just like the common flu. And the key thing is, it's not like the common flu. This is a new virus, so there's a lot that is still uncertain about it. We don't have good data because many of the countries with their health services being overwhelmed aren't able to produce the kind of data we need. But things we can say is that it does seem to be much more likely to result in hospitalisation and much more likely to result in death than most strains of flu. Very, very ballpark here. But generally, there's about 10 times as great a chance of you ending up in hospital, 10 times as great a chance of you needing really serious treatment in hospital, and 10 times the risk of death. But as I say, that is very, very ballpark. At the end of this, we may find out that actually the numbers are quite different. But the general message is that it is significantly more serious than the common seasonal flus that we get. Tom, thank you very much. That is the end of our first episode in this uh, weekly podcast from Full Facts, where we will be bringing you the latest fact-checking stories from the website. Nice bite-sized chunks with uh, Tom and Grace and plenty of other fact-checkers that will be joining us. A reminder that you can send your questions directly to us. You can record your question so we can play it out on the podcast. Send it to podcast at fullfact.org. And you can also find us on Acast iTunes and Spotify. Hit the subscribe button so you don't have to find the episodes as they come out. They'll be delivered straight to your device. So remember, you can find us on Acast, iTunes and Spotify. That's all from us. We'll be back next week. Listener.